Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to What Goes Up, a Bloomberg Weekly Markets podcast. I'm Sarah Ponsek, a markets reporter on the Cross Asset team. And I'm Mike Regan, a senior editor on the markets team. This week on the show, the first half of the year is officially over and the scores are on the door. It was the best first half for U.S. stocks since 1997. We saw a record rally in investment grade credit, strong numbers across commodities too, and the list goes on. Now, what to watch out for going forwards. Well, one thing we can watch out for is our guests, Sarah, two very good guests this week. Uh, Joining us for the first time on the podcast, Mr. Pim Fox. Sarah, did you know Pim was a a one-time Florida man? I'm just learning this today. However, he doesn't seem like he's really a big fan of the state. Well, at least not in the summertime. The the humidity (laughs) and the heat, you know, moves a little too high for me. Okay. Now now the excuses come out. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) We'll talk about air conditioning later on in the program. (laughs) Yeah. Pim has a whole investment thesis centered around uh, air conditioning. It's pretty interesting, actually. Also joining us from the Bonds and FX team, Katie Greifeld, who I do not believe has any Florida connections. No. Actually, my parents relocated to Florida. Uh, they're officially... Shocker. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, they they made the plunge and uh, fulfilled the stereotype. So. so you're a part-time Florida. I'm the only non-Florida connection here. I, I you're going like, to I feel you're lost. Gonna have to get in somehow. I feel lost. Yeah. Anyway, as Sarah said, uh, the first half of the year is in the books. What a ferocious rally in not only stocks, but bonds. Katie, that FX market's going nowhere, however. But, Pim, I'm curious, did anything surprise you in this first half? Well, I can give you some of the numbers. I mean, give for me example, numbers, S&P 500 up more than 19% so far this year, right? So the first half of the year up 19%. So that's kind of bogey for all of the active money managers. Plus, you take a look at the NASDAQ, it's up about 22%. And as you just mentioned, uh, bonds rally for U.S. Treasuries. I mean, dig this. You know, the four-week bill will yield you 2.22%. Oh, but if you decide to lend your money to the government for 10 years, you will only get 1.95%. So not exactly a great return, but that inverted yield curve certainly causing a lot of consternation. And we got to look forward to that July 30-31 Fed meeting to find out, are they actually going to cut rates? It really is pretty amazing. But Katie, one place that we have not really seen any volatility, any excitement this year, at least until maybe recently you can make the case for, is the FX market. How difficult has it been to be a reporter who covers currencies this far into the year? You know, it's been really frustrating for me as a reporter. And uh, I imagine if you're trying to make money there, it's even more (laughs) frustrating. Uh, But yeah, you know, you've seen these just crazy moves in bond yields all across the world. And FX has really been trading sideways. There's just no volatility there. 
And, uh, you know, this is something I talk about with sources a lot. It's all anyone wants to talk about is where is the volatility? And I mean, even though you are seeing these big yield moves, which, you know, typically you would expect currencies to respond to, that's been caused by this dovish shift by global banks around the world. So we're all going in the same direction in terms of monetary policy. And that just doesn't breed FX volatility. You know, even if you want to sell the dollar, what do you sell it against? Everyone's dovish. Yeah, I th- uh, to put some numbers on it, I, last time I looked at a chart of the dollar index, now this thing's been around since 1973, I believe, the range between high and low has only been about 3.5%. Now, if this year ended today, which obviously it, it won't, but uh, unless Sarah knows something, I don't <laughs> no, know. I know nothing no, that you don't know. You can confirm it won't. I can confirm. It would, be the, it would be the narrowest trading range ever since at least 1973 for, for the dollar index. I mean- is it, that's basically the long and short of it is that all central banks are dovish. Uh, there's really no edge anywhere in the currency market. Is that is that the general thinking among, among unfortunately? Yeah. Um, and I, I have I'm going to one up you on a stat. Oh, uh, so if you go back to the first quarter, I guess we're in the third quarter now. But euro dollar, which is the most actively traded currency pair, it's like 40 percent of global currency trading, and it's you know the most liquid market. So. That was the tightest quarterly training range since the inception of the euro. Wow. it's It's been really grim. And I was just talking about this with a few people yesterday. I mean, is there any reason for hope in the, you know, the coming months? And uh, unless you think that one of these major global central banks is going to diverge, you know, in the group of 10 space, uh, we're really looking at more sideways trading. So buckle up. Pinning down the trajectory of the dollar seems like it has been extremely hard to do. However, it doesn't just have implications for the currency markets. Of course, it's very closely interrelated with the movements in the commodity markets. Also, what it means for U.S. stocks or really global stocks as well as these currency relations come into shape. Going forwards, when you talk to traders... Are you hearing more that the dollar is set to fall because the Fed is incrementally turning more dovish? Or is there a case to be made against that, too, because we're set to see other central banks turn more dovish as well? It's really hard. And that's mostly what I hear when I talk to people. You know, even if you really think the U.S. economy is uh, going nowhere, it's going to slow down. I mean, if you look abroad, Europe, Japan, there's, you know, no reason for celebration there either. So, you know, if you want to be bearish the dollar, and this is the beauty of currencies, you have to pick something you like better. And from what I'm hearing to from people, you know, even if they'd like to make a bearish dollar call, it's really hard to have conviction in that. So you might see some tactical trades here and there, but, you know, I'm really not getting a high sense of conviction from really anyone I talk to. Yeah. And obviously, uh, this type of non-volatility is bad news for currency traders. Maybe not such bad news for the rest of us, Pim, right? Uh, you had a post talking about how the recent weakness in the dollar, now it is still in this this very low range, uh, small range that it's right. traded in all year. But the last couple of weeks- uh, Well, you've seen it sell off, for example, let's say against the Canadian loonie, right? I mean, yeah. the Canadian uh, government released a report having to do with their trade surplus. That was a big surprise. This comes even after we see oil decline in price over the last, let's say, couple of months since April. And as a result of uh, the decline in the value of the dollar, it's an interesting connection between loan origination in the United States, something I had never really thought of. And 
a, a report by the Federal Reserve, some research, took a look and said, you know, about a two and a half percent decrease uh, in the U.S. dollar would lead to an increase of 10 percent in U.S. bank corporate loan origination. This is and, fascinating. Yeah, and the reason the, the re, I mean, you know. Okay, you know, you you try to follow the breadcrumbs here, but I mean, the the, the reason that was given in the research is that typically what happens is when the dollar strengthens, that kills emerging markets, and that typically sends everybody in one direction, and Mm -hmm. that causes lending to pull back because it makes people risk averse. So you see this sell-off in emerging markets, you get a risk-averse feeling on the part of bankers, and they contract their lending. Conversely, if the dollar continues its more recent slide against, let's say, the Canadian loony or maybe even the euro, we've had comments from the president having to do with currency manipulation, whether it comes to the euro or whether the Chinese uh, yuan, your renminbi, that if you get this fall in the value of the dollar, you could see a big boost in bank lending. And this comes at just the same time that the Federal Reserve has also basically taken the handcuffs off of U.S. you know, big financial companies to go ahead and do stock buybacks and increase their dividends to investors. That's very interesting, I've, I've got to say. But you mentioned the relationship between the dollar and emerging markets. And I have to say on my end, a lot of the people I've been speaking with lately are growing more and more bullish on emerging markets, also see more upside in commodities because of that relationship and do think that the dollar could fall further. And I want to bring that over within the commodity space to oil, Pim. Can you just walk us through this past week? What is going on with oil? You have OPEC come out, extend production cuts, and then we see oil just fall off a cliff. Right. Uh, Oil, the price of uh, Let me just give you the bigger context because you may not recall that oil, crude oil, West Texas Intermediate traded on the NYMEX is actually up 25% since the beginning of the year. But still down about 25% from the highs. Right. And it is down 14% just since April. So I think that the, there's a, there's a term called the um, recency uh, uh, bias. bias, right? That the things that happen most closely in time to now are the things that dominate your thinking. And as you described it, you have a situation where there is more oil than there is growth and demand. And it is obviously the OPEC plus one, you know, with Russia saying that they're going to curtail production. They're trying to maintain some level of pricing. But You've got U.S. shale uh, producers. They're the swing producers here. And uh, you also have a big uh, switch in terms of uh, electricity generation. That's being done with natural gas. And natural gas prices, at least so far, have gone nowhere. We're under $3 per million BTU. So, you know, oil and energy companies, they have still been struggling when you take a look at their performance in the S&P 500. Yeah, well, and natural gas, not exactly in short supply in this country either. Correct, yeah. I mean, you know, they have some cases where because of the pipeline uh, bottlenecks that producers of natural gas are actually paying to have someone take the natural gas away. Negative, actually negative pricing for certain uh, types of natural gas. Well, somewhere where negative pricing isn't uh, uncommon is the sovereign bond market around the globe nowadays. This past week, we did also get some new news regarding the European Central Bank, and that is the nomination of Madame Christine Lagarde to potentially head up the ECB after Mario Draghi's exit. 
What implications could this possibly even have for Marcus Katie? Yeah. So Christine Lagarde, it's it's great because, you know, we know her views. We know her record. And uh, talking to people, I really hear that uh, she's probably going to, you know, continue on, uh, you know, the draggy trajectory, bring in some more easing. And uh, that should you know, that's good news for bonds, uh, in particular Italian bonds. And you've been seeing uh, yields drop there. And she hasn't even, you know, been confirmed yet. Uh, in terms of bonds, though, it's interesting, you know, with bonds already near record low yields. Uh, negative, right? Yeah, negative. very negative. I, I mean, what not ha- just negative, what, very yeah. negative. Yeah, what, what, <laughs> what can they buy that they haven't already bought? And if your money sitting at the central bank is actually disappearing, what incentive could they possibly offer corporations to well, actually spend the money. And, and when the news came out that Lagarde was going to be Draghi's replacement, you did see that drop in the euro suggesting that people think she will even be more dovish. So yeah. I guess I, I echo Pim's question. What, what what will they buy? Well, I'm excited to find <laughs> out. I, I think we all are. The euro, it's interesting, though, and this is something I was talking about with people. So, yes, uh, the ECB has an easing bias. We know that. But You know, if push comes to shove and we really enter a global easing cycle, the Fed has much more ammunition to cut rates, to ease policy than the ECB. They're kind of tapped out when it comes to monetary policy. So that actually, you know, the euro might struggle to weaken too much against the dollar, given that, you know, just the Fed has so much more room to ease policy, which, again, brings us back to this range we're trading in. So with the Fed's next meeting coming up at the end of July, um, you have the stock market just, dare I say the word, melt up, but just flying higher, as Pim said, 19% or, or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, 19% in the higher for the S&P 500. And of course, we're going to get it, you know, probably what, July, mid July 15th, we're going to start getting earnings for the second quarter. And we'll see whether corporate earnings are, are keeping pace because the PE on the S&P 500, I think right now, is like 18, 19, depending upon how you look at it. That's historically pretty high. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. So, Katie, do people really believe that we're going to get this rate cut, even with the the stock market shooting to the moon like this? I mean, is this sort of ratcheting those bets down a little bit as we watch stocks go higher? You know, it's really crazy, but it doesn't seem like it. It really still feels like July is a lock. You know, a week or two ago, we were saying maybe 50 basis points. And obviously, Bullard poured some cold water on that. But I would love to see what it would take to get the market to sort of pair those bets. Because, I mean, even with the outcome of the G20 meeting, you really didn't see expectations budge. And, you know, these geopolitical tensions was a lar- in a large part what caused this repricing of the Fed initially. And when, when you said, sorry, when you said Jim Bullard, Jim Bullard of the St. Louis Fed, and it makes me think about the two new members that the president has proposed for the Federal Reserve. One of them is coming from the uh, 
St. Louis Fed. This is Christopher uh, Waller, right? He's the director of research there. And then you've got Judy Shelton, uh, who at one time, I'm, well, I don't know whether she still does, but at one time she talked about a return to the gold standard. We Sounds talked... like some others that we've heard nominated to the Fed board uh, as yes. well. Yes. And, you know, you, you take a look at the price that you talked earlier about. So, OK, what do you do if you sell the dollar? A lot of people have been buying gold. You've seen the gold rally up, what, about 10 percent year to date. And most of that has really come in the last month. It's it's very clear that when President Trump is either tweeting or even going ahead and nominating people to the Fed board, he wants doves. He wants people who are going to go in to the Fed and really fight for cuts and see easier monetary policy. And I will say, if you go back and you look through history, it's really not uncommon, actually, for the Fed to cut rates with stocks near all-time highs. And Katie, most of the people I've spoken with have really echoed a similar tone, saying you kind of get the best of both worlds, actually, since we didn't get a deal out of the G20 this past weekend, because there's still uncertainty, and that could give the Fed a little bit more leverage to cut rates before a deal could potentially take shape. But Pim, I also want to ask you, I know a big question coming out of the first half has been, How is it possible that we can continue to see bonds rally alongside the stock market? How do you try to reconcile these two things? I I mean, I'm I'm sorry to make it sound like it's simple, but at least to me it's simple. (laughs) Well, yeah, but it's very clear. It has to do with the fact that you have so many committed buyers. I mean, if you're running a large pension fund, if you're running a municipal pension fund, if you're running uh, an insurance company, if you're running any kind of endowment, anything that has long-term liabilities, you're not deciding whether you're going to buy. You're going to buy. Right. You, you're, it, it's not like, you know, we look at it and we compare one asset class to another. They're not comparing any asset classes. They're always in there buying. They have to buy. And then to the point earlier that Katie was making, having to do with negative interest rates in other parts of the world, if you are a let's say, European pension plan, and you're looking at liabilities 10, 20, 30 years down the road, what are you going to do? You're going to buy negative yielding German bunds, or maybe you're going to go and you're going to take 1.95% for a U.S. Treasury 10-year. So I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily, you know, it's not either or. And when you look at the returns, let's say, of stocks, you know, you can, there are a lot of stocks that you can buy that will produce dividend yields that are double what you could get in a treasury. Now, obviously, you got volatility and risk and all that. But on a relative basis, if you're managing people's money and they say, well, you know, great, I can't live on 2%, uh, you're going to have to go find them something else. Yeah, there was an interesting report out. I think it was Mike Mayo, uh, who's now at Wells Fargo, pointing out that the dividend you get on banks is now- Yeah, right. The expected dividend, anyway, after the, the stress test is rivaling utilities- at half the PE. I mean, uh, Pim, is, are we going to see banks uh, finally start to outperform the market, do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, I wrote a, a piece for the M Live uh, blog uh, earlier in the month about that having to do with buybacks and dividend increases. Now, we talk about buybacks that are just limited to financial companies, and corporations continue to spend what excess cash they have on buying back their shares. Of course, it makes their EPS look good. Uh, that also you know, ups CEO pay because they're measured on what the stock price does. But having said that, it doesn't look like anyone's going to start cutting dividends, specifically in the financial sector, just when they got the green light from the Fed and those stress tests to go ahead and do it. And we know that this is something they've already said they're going to do. 
And one more post you had that really caught my eye is about air conditioning huh. in Europe. Well, this goes back. <laughs> this goes back to Sarah's uh, impending trip to Florida. You know, you, you're not going to Florida unless you have air conditioning, and maybe that's something that the Europeans will be paying attention to because uh, while Southern Europe has a lot of air conditioning, you know, Spain, Italy, and so on. France and Germany and the Netherlands, northern European countries in the UK, typically they do not have residential air conditioning. What was it, 5% of France? 5% of French homes and under 2% of German homes. And I'm not even thinking about offices and trains and uh, various public venues. A lot of them do not have cooling uh, capacity above 90 degrees Fahrenheit. So if it goes above 90 degrees Fahrenheit and you're in a German high-speed train, Good luck. Americans would not do well with this. Right, and it it went over 100 Fahrenheit in in much of the continent. You had a a record in France, I think. It was 104 degrees in France. So what what are the ways to invest? Ah, there you go. See, well, okay, so what I did was I took a look at the refrigerants, the actual gases, the industrial gases that go into air conditioning systems. Because if you're going to buy an air conditioner, they've got to have something to actually cool the air. And uh, there are a variety of rules and regulations having to do with hydrofluorocarbons and so on. But uh, there's air liquid, there is um, Linda, the uh, industrial gas company. Uh, All of those uh, might benefit because they produce the kinds of industrial gases that are compliant with the European Union regulations. Interesting stuff, again, from Pim. Get your air conditioning. Love having your Get your air conditioning in Europe. I want to turn the tables really quickly on Mike, because back on January 4th, he issued an outlook for the Markets Live blog. So we, I figured it was only fair if I pulled out my highlighter uh. and my red pen, and I graded him and, and saw where his outlook actually stands. And I have to say, he did pretty well. Um very equity focused, but I'll run through. Th- that's what, why we're talking about it. I, right. I, I, he, if, if this were wrong, he uh, would have absolutely shunned me from talking about it on what goes up. But here we, we are talking about it. We won't talk about well. my post saying 2% was the floor for 10 year yields. That, that was very that, wrong. That, that's cute. And that, that came mid June. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. You have a lot of company. I do not know one Wall Street strategist who called the bond market. Oh, no. But now we have Golden. JP Morgan coming out saying we could see 1.75% yeah, record on the low forecast. Right. 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 It's pretty, pretty fun. Amazing. Let's go back to how I was right. Sarah. Right. We'll <laughs> go back to how you're right. I'll start with the ones that were right. How about that? So the first one was the consensus is calling for a stronger stock market with double digit percentage gains for the S&P 500 in the coming year. Clearly, we are already there. Double digit gains in the first half of the year. There's no doubt about that. Now, this one, it's talking about the year end target. So He said the average estimate from a survey of 170 Markets Live readers, so not necessarily Mike himself, but those who feed into the Markets Live blog, is for the S&P to close the year at 2799. That would have been a 12% gain. So sure, we got a 12% gain, but we are already way past that. And if you compare that to, say, the S&P ends around 3000 or so, that's 7% above that level. So we're already there. We're already there. We're already past it's, it. It's a long year. Sorry. We know. could see. We'll, we'll see, see what happens. We could we'll always see. come back down. Um. <laughs> but my point was everybody likes to be a contrarian, you know, Pim? And I thought sometimes the consensus gets it right. And that's, yeah. that seemed right to me because at the time, all those predictions were made before the market freaked out in December. And then it looked like they were calling for this unrealistic rally. But uh, you get, you know, broken yeah. clock. 
I'll give you uh, one more that's right, and that's on EPS estimates. So he wrote that bottom-up estimates show analysts expect earnings per share growth of 8.3% in 2019. Now, that was down from 11% towards the end of last year. And then he said estimates may fall further. Fall, they absolutely have. Now we're expecting 4% earnings growth for the year, and we could see that potentially fall even further as well. Um, But it's only fair if I also say one that you got wrong, Mike, and I think we should go with, actually, we'll keep it with earnings. So you said that still S&P 500 companies have a penchant to consistently beat estimates, which they do. But then you said we could potentially even see double digit earnings growth this year. Yeah, I'd say that's that long gone. That not that's long good. gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. But overall, I'd give you a solid, solid B Amazing plus or A minus. You, you could get a, a B minus? I mean, B plus, B, B plus, plus or A minus. Oh, A minus. Yeah. Okay. All right. Got to remember my alphabet. Well, it's amazing straight. how you could be too optimistic about the earnings and not up optimistic enough about the price. Yeah. So that, uh, we'll let that one resolve itself. We'll see how out. that goes. Sorry, is it that time? It's that time. Tell Pim what time it is. It is the time for the craziest thing I ever saw in markets this week our weekly ritual on the podcast. Did they warn you, Katie, about this? We warned you. About I've been this. warned. Yes. I'm She's, prepared. Yes. Per- I knew Katie would come prepared. <laughs> I did my homework. <laughs> All right. Then you start. What's the craziest thing you saw in markets? Okay. I'm week? happy I'm going first so no one else steals it. But <laughs> I thought the price of tin was really interesting. It plunged- The price of tin. Tin. Okay. So again, I'm a currency and bond reporter, not an expert here, but the price of tin plunged by the most in seven years this week. And I have no idea why, but uh, obviously Bloomberg authors do. So- This is what they said. The International Tin Association blamed the drop in prices on manipulation by institutional investors in China's domestic market. Oh, wow. I. Wow. Yeah. So their words, not mine. But yeah, check it out. The price of tin plunged this week. That's amazing. Pim, did you have a call, a market call on tin? (laughs) What's your year? No, I had no, I had no, I had no tin market call. Um, (laughs) But but I would say that the thing that I was taking a look at this week had to do with commodities, and it has to do with things like cobalt, nickel, and lithium, right? And this has to do with batteries, and then that has to do with Tesla, and we got the Tesla results, and they were great, and the stock went up. But my only point is that if we are replacing OPEC as the source of fuel for internal combustion engine cars and replacing it with China as the really, or maybe South Korea you can add in too, but South Korea and China as the two suppliers of battery technology, that poses an interesting dynamic in the future, doesn't it? Because we've been through the OPEC stuff, right? I mean, this, you know, controlling markets, controlling prices. And now you're talking about China which controls about 70% of the actual uh, uh, processed uh, lithium that goes into uh, batteries. They don't mine it necessarily all there, but they process process it it. and they turn it into batteries, and that's what runs electric cars. What if they start messing with it like they they did with the tin, according to our reporting? (laughs) There's a lot of risks here. There you go. The good news, the price of tinfoil hats went down. yeah, oh, thank, thank God. Good. Everyone everyone yeah. really sees that as <laughs> Just in time. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, what's the craziest thing you saw this week? I've got to say we're really all going out on a limb today, but this headline really caught my eye across the Bloomberg Terminal. It's Beyond Meat Fever turns the tiny pea into America's hot 
new crop. So we're actually seeing pea prices increase <laughs> because there is such a craze for vegetarianism, veganism, and beyond meat burgers, beyond burgers, whatever you make of it. And pea is the input into that. And I want to read you a quote from one of the farmers. This farmer said that essentially beyond meat's goal of helping wean humans off of meat consumption, quote unquote, does not interest me at all. I am a traditional meat guy and pro rancher. Then he went on to say about the pea, at the beginning, we didn't see it as a moneymaker. It just made the farm more sustainable. I am excited for new markets for the peas. So we'll see what happens with the peas going forwards. But beyond meat, really helping the price out. Can we invest in peas? Is there Are there futures? I, I guess so. Uh, maybe in the princess and the mattress. <laughs> <laughs> All right, these are all pretty good. I'm gonna. I feel like I'm cheating with my craziest thing because it's kind of a duplicate of last week's crazy thing. But there has been developments. Last week, my craziest thing, Pim, was uh, there's actually an exchange where you can buy and sell sneakers. It's called StockX, and you you know buy a, a pair of Nikes for a hundred dollars and you keep them in the box for a few years and then you sell them for. $300 a few years down the line. That's your retirement plan, That's huh? It is. It absolutely <laughs> is. So I'm going to start a hedge fund, the, the sneaker. You're going to stock it with some Nikes, I have a feeling. Yeah. So yeah. this week, Nike released what they thought would be a patriotic sneaker with the Betsy Ross flag, you know, the 13 stars. Okay. Yes, in a circle. In yeah, a circle. Um, and before they could even get it on the market, uh, Colin Kaepernick, who's uh, one of their um, athletes that they sponsor, said... Wait a minute, that 13-star Betsy Ross flag is is actually considered offensive to some people. Apparently, part of the right wing is using that flag as a uh, as part of their symbology. I don't really get it. Uh, I guess it harkens back to the time when slavery was still legal. Regardless, Nike said, all right, this is a bad idea to release this shoe. Back to StockX, a few pairs trickled out. I think like uh, 67 pairs of this sneaker traded on StockX. Going for as high as twenty five hundred dollars wow. for a pair wow. of these sneakers. It's like the new Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Does that come Limited. with or without laces? <laughs> I assume with laces. For twenty five hundred dollars, yes. I would hope so. You, you would think, yeah. I would hope right. so. Absolutely. People will do anything nowadays for limited edition sneakers. I would say. Right. Now we also have one from Twitter that we have to bring to the podcast that we picked out. This came from at thirty seven Techno Shaman. Now he said he was watching the gold dollar pair quote-unquote too fast too soon wasn't the case it went further up against all odds considering the correction right after g20 talks i bet some bears got caught unprepared now this goes to thinking sure we saw another rally in gold we're back above fourteen hundred dollars an ounce but pim does the rally in gold seem sustainable at this point in time Oh, gosh. I mean, I have no idea. <laughs> I, all I can say is that if you uh, hold a gold coin, like a double eagle or a Krugerrand, in your hand, you will understand how it makes you feel rather than what it is, sort of symbolically. And I think that many gold investors look to that as the sort of inception of their interest uh, in gold. And while we've seen, for example, the Central Bank of China adding to their gold reserves, and if you believe that paper currencies are being debased, gold is certainly an option. I would say an ounce of gold still costs about a grand, grand less than a 
pair of Air Max One Nikes. So nice and you try, can't, and you can't wear the gold. And you can't wear the gold. So nice try, Twitter guy. But I, I think mine. I think <laughs> Twitter I guy. Yeah. Mike's going to refer to everyone who now <laughs> offers up their brilliant ideas on Twitter as Twitter guy. Although to, to declare a winner, I think Katie wins with the with tin the tin price manipulation. I I totally missed that one. Usually I'm aware of these crazy market stories. I, I wasn't I totally aware that, that there was a winner. Wow. Yeah, I think this is the really. first week we've had a winner, so you should be really. Don't honored. get excited. I don't think you get the sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a tin hat though. I think that's enough. <laughs> tin hat. Katie Greifeld though. Pim Fox. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. What Goes Up will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, website and app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can also find us on Twitter. Follow me at, at Sarah Ponsek. Mike is at Reganonymous. Our guest, Pim Fox, is at Pim Fox. And Katie Greifeld is at Kay Greifeld. You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. What Goes Up is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.